0: Before we start the episode, I just want to give a trigger warning that this episode talks about anxiety. I just want to let you know that if you don't feel comfortable listening to this episode, that's fine. Hey everyone and welcome back to It's The Personal, a podcast all about love, mindset, life lessons and South Asian diaspora. Hope you've had a good week and I just want to say that today is episode 10 which is a huge milestone for me. I feel like I'm legit a podcaster now. I am so happy that I've made it 10 episodes. Is it a 10, a 10 pod anniversary? Is that a thing? Well happy 10th episode anniversary. I just want to say to everyone that listened and subscribed and followed on social media which if you haven't like Follow me on social media, It's Instagram at Prettypersonal and Twitter at Pretty Personal. The links to my social media will be in the episode description below. I honestly just want to say thank you to everyone who's actually supported me because two months ago this was like a little brain baby, and now it's a podcast and so many people listen to it and it's actually really nice. Oh, and if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate it five stars and leave a review because it really does help the podcast grow. Today is a really special episode, and not because it's the 10th episode, but because I've got my first ever international guest. So, today I'm joined by Nena Matani, a clinical psychologist from California, and we have a conversation all about anxiety from what it is to how our brain actually registers what we're feeling as anxiety. It was such an interesting conversation, and I'm so glad that I get to share it with you guys. Nena also has an Instagram page called Millennial Mind. So I'm going to link it in the episode description below and be sure to check her out as well. So let's get into our conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of It's Pretty Personal. Today is an episode all about mindset. And I have a very special guest with me today. I have Nena, who is Going to introduce herself right now.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Nena Matani. I am a clinical psychologist in training. I was born and raised in Southern California and Los Angeles, and I've spent all of my career here so far. I've spent grad school here, and I specialize in health psychology, so I'm interested in understanding how chronic illnesses affect psychosocial and mental health and so I'm really excited to be here today and be a part of this. I'm a millennial so doing work that helps millennials become more aware of mental health is really important to me. So thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. Like
0: you said, I think that's really true. It's so important to like help millennials understand and raise awareness of mental health. So Normally, when I have a guest, I do an icebreaker questions with them. So, so the people listening know a little bit more about you. So the first question that I wanted to ask is, what was the one subject that you're really good at at school?
1: Um, I was really good at math, actually, and biology. I would say I was better at biology. And it makes sense because I wanted to go to med school and I was just, I was always really interested by it. I Was so excited to like dissect a frog, (laughs) which sounds really weird. But um, but yeah, biology was like my strong suit growing up. So it was fun to me. Did you get to dissect the frog? Did the teacher do it for you? No, you got to dissect it. It was like a frozen frog and they would let it sit out for a couple of hours and then you would go in and dissect it. It was really disgusting, actually. (laughs) Yeah, because we had to do that in science class and
0: we never got the chance to do it. The teacher had to do it, but. I was so squeamish just looking at the teacher do it. I don't think I could have done it myself. Like I was like, no, this is why doctor was not for me. The next question is, what do you value
1: the most? Family. They've always been the the top priority for me. I grew up actually with a lot of cousins and I have one older brother and I grew up with a lot of cousins. And so we all grew up like siblings. So I feel like... I really do have just one older brother, but I feel like I have like five siblings and it's awesome because they all have babies now. And so like, we're just such a growing family and I've always like grown up with them as my best friends. And so when I think of like anything going on or um, if there's anything just good or bad in my life, like they're the first people I turn to. And so I'm honestly really lucky that I have them.
0: The next question is, what makes you really happy?
1: I think it's kind of in line with family again. I think they honestly really re-energize me um, and traveling when it was a thing, but it's not anymore. So I guess that makes me kind of sad right now. (laughs) Honestly. Um, But yeah, it's really sad. It's so sad. can't go anywhere. (laughs) And it used to be something that would give me like, Anytime I had a break in between something, I'd always be planning a trip. And so I'd get really excited by it and I'd get so happy to like explore a new place. And right now that's really put on hold. So I'm having to do some exploring around San Francisco and the Bay Area. It's not the same, but it's something. But yeah, family makes me really happy, honestly. Like spending time with them, spending time with my nephews and my nieces. Like it's just, it's so fun all the time. So same answer. (laughs) Do you know what? My new
0: favorite thing to do is we see holiday homes on Airbnb. Honestly, that's what I've been doing during lockdown. I'm like, I'm trying to plan for my next holiday. God knows when it will be. So I'm like looking through places. Like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. It's just become a thing. And the final question is
1: what makes you unique? Hmm. What makes me unique? Um, I feel like honestly, being a millennial, I mean, not being a millennial is not unique, but I feel like being in this field and like being a millennial and kind of sharing my story makes me unique. Um, I feel like a lot of times psychology is really not approachable. And we think of psychologists as, or at least when I was not in this field, I used to think of psychologists as like really esteemed people that I didn't feel like I could talk to necessarily. Like I didn't feel connected with them. And I was scared of them, honestly. I was like, are they reading my mind? So I just, I feel like that makes me unique to be this millennial and this like person who's going through things on my own and also a psychologist and, you know, almost like an expert on these things. And so, yeah, I think, I think that makes me unique. I love that.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about how you got into the psychology and your
1: job. So do you want to talk a little bit about your journey? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it started in biology class when I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> I was dissecting frogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I was. I always wanted to go to med school. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I actually wanted to be a surgeon. And then my mom actually got diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was pretty early stage, so we were able to fight it. But I did start to notice kind of like the mental impact that something like that takes on the person and the family and I just I got way more interested in that like I wanted to meet people in that place where they had this like chronic medical illness and were suffering and meeting them there and helping them guide them through that journey and so that's how I became more interested in psychology I Majored in it in undergraduate, and um, and then I went to grad school for it. And I all of my rotations were in medical care settings, so I still got to fulfill like being in the medical centers. And you know, I I was always like energized by being in a medical environment, and so I still get to do all of that. So that's kind of how it all started. Really, it was with my mom, and then you are currently doing research as well, right? I am. Yes. So I am actually doing a a couple of different projects right now, but all of my research focuses on again chronic illness and the mental health aspects of it. And so one of the projects I'm working on right now is looking at cultural aspects of caregiving and helping understand like what can we do to better support caregivers um and we are trying to look at the South Asian population, but there's not a lot of research out there, so My mentor is amazing and really focused in South Asian work. And so that's what we're doing right now and hoping to, you know, get a document out there that helps set guidelines for how we should work with people of minority populations. I think that's so important
0: as well, because I feel like, especially like during lockdown and stuff, I think one thing that I've really realized is people are putting people in buckets, but not one person doesn't fit one bucket all the time. So I think it's great that your research is like tailored to South Asian people in the sense of um, not all like caregivers are in one bucket.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And we can't put them in one bucket. Their experiences are also different. Yeah, definitely. So this episode is all about
0: anxiety. And I want to put a disclaimer out there that whatever we talk about, if you are suffering from anxiety, please, please, please go see medical professional in the country that you are in. So now that disclaimer is out of the way, let's talk about anxiety. So I guess the simplest
1: question is, what is anxiety? Yeah, so anxiety is actually a response to some sort of fear stimulus that we have. So if you can think about like, let's take coronavirus, because that's the the biggest thing that's causing people anxiety right now. We often get anxiety when we're thinking about fear of the future or what is going to happen. So what if coronavirus doesn't end? That will instantly put us into a panic state. And, and anxiety is kind of the chronic state of fear that we have. Our body is um, responding to our fear stimulus at all times, and that can cause anxiety. So having, an, having some sort of level of anxiety is normal. Um, but when it becomes clinical is when it starts to interfere with your everyday functioning. So when you're anxious, but you can't even get through your day or do your job, then, then you might want to consider seeing someone for that.
0: Yeah. And like what actually happens in your brain? Like that's the bit that I'm so interested in. It's like what happens in your brain for your brain to register that you're feeling what you're feeling is anxiety.
1: Yeah. So we have two different like systems in our nervous system. And they both respond to different things. So normally when we have some sort of stress response or we have something that, were, that scares us, for example, we trigger this system in our body called the sympathetic nervous system. And that is our body going into this fight or flight mode. You might have heard of that. Yeah. And what that means is our body is getting prepared to either fight whatever that fear is or run from it. And so when we have, you know, something that we're afraid of or something that stresses us out, that's not chronic. It's just this this one thing. Our body can fight that. And then it goes into this rest or digest system, which is called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that brings our body back to normal baseline. It regulates our body temperature again. And that helps us kind of get rid of that stress. So if you think about like... Taking a final exam, for example, your body is going into this fight or flight mode, and you're, you know, you're getting ready to take that exam, you're doing everything you can, you're drinking all those energy drinks, your body is in that fight or flight mode. And then as soon as it's over, you're gonna sleep for like 10 hours because you're so exhausted. That's your body in rest and digest, and it's starting to regulate itself again. And so that's what happens in the brain. Now, when we think of anxiety, our body can do fight or flight mode for a period of time. But when we have chronic stress, our body is always in that fight or flight mode. And that's when we have anxiety because our body thinks that everything is some sort of a trigger or something fearful or something um, to be afraid of. And so our body is always in this fight or flight mode. So we're not able to get to this rest or digest mode and we have to start to force it into ourselves by doing things like exercising and relaxation, because these are all things that trigger that rest and digest system in our body. So that's what's going on in the brain. There's a whole lot of going on. Our brain is responding to these different stimuli and, um, and it's trying to, trying to protect us. But when we're chronically stressed, it actually doesn't know how to do that anymore. I think one thing that I want to ask is how do
0: we distinguish what is the difference between chronic stress and just like normal once in a while kind of stress?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned before, when something is chronic, it will start to interfere with your everyday functioning. So if you're, you know, if you have like stress about, for example, coronavirus, Right now, that that can easily turn into anxiety because it, it is becoming a chronic stress. But if you have like a stressor, for example, like you lost your job and you're finding a new job, you may have stress and anxiety for that period of time. And it could be like a couple of weeks and then it will go away or you'll have it for like a day or so. But when you start to notice that, you know, you're not actually able to get through your day, you're not able to do your job, you're not able to get out of bed, without being terrified or without constantly thinking about the future and you feel like your thoughts are running away with you, then that's when we can classify it as this chronic stress and this anxiety. Mm. And there's loads
0: of different forms as well, right?
1: Yes, there are. So anxiety at its core is the same, but it can manifest in different ways. So it can manifest in things like OCD. So becoming really I'm terrified of cleanliness and wanting to stay clean all the time and washing your hands a ton of times a day. And that all comes from the underlying anxiety and the fear of contamination. There's social anxiety, so fear of being in public settings and talking to people and um, just interacting socially. And that's, you know, that can be like fear of rejection. That can be fear of people. It can be a, you know, a fear um, related to anything social then there's like dating anxiety. Um, there's, you know, there's all different kinds and at the root of it is fear of something. I agree with that. I think every single time I feel anxiety,
0: I think it is a fear for me. And I was like, dating is one thing that always makes me very anxious. And I don't know if it's a fear of rejection. Actually, I wrote it down. This is getting, get very personal, but, um, I kind of wrote down what, what my fears were. And I guess my fears were like, I'm scared of getting hurt. I'm very scared that all of a sudden they would leave. And I've just wasted my time with that person, which is a genuine fear. And the other fear is like the fear, I think the fear that I have is that I'm disposable and I never want to feel like that. So that always causes a lot of anxiousness for me when I'm like dating people. Just because I'm like, there's a lot of pressure out there to like find this perfect one or this right one. It's so weird. And I feel like for me, like, it is the fear that kind of sometimes stops me from dating, which I shouldn't in a lot of ways. I'm always like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to conquer my fear. But this is the one thing that is very hit or miss with me. And I'm like, do you know what? I need to get better at it. But for some reason, like, the rejection is actually like a legitimate fear. I don't know
1: why. Yeah, it's a big one. And I, you know, it doesn't surprise me when you say the fear of rejection and people say sometimes I have like the fear of not being enough. And and I have quite honestly, I have felt that way too in past relationships where I have felt like, you know, this person is just going to leave me and it's happened before. And so sometimes our past can kind of trigger that fear. And so, um, you're right when you say that we have to work through it, but how we work through it is really important. So we can't go from like zero to a hundred, right? Like you can't, you can't go from like not going on a date and having this fear to being like, I'm going to go out and I'm, I don't even care. And I'm going to marry the next guy that I see. (laughs) Exactly. We can't, we can't do that either. (laughs) So we have to take baby steps and it could be even like writing out your fears and writing them down and taking baby steps towards maybe like messaging the person um, or even thinking about messaging the person or role-playing messaging the person. You know, you definitely cannot go from zero to 100 and, and recognizing that in some ways, these fears are quite normal because we do live in a society where, you know, online dating is a really big deal and it's a really scary thing, right? Like social media it can be a really scary thing. It can be great and it can be really scary. And so recognizing that that is all valid and normal and you know it's it's part of the experience and part of this process but normalizing that for yourself and recognizing like you're not the only one that feels that and there's tons of people that feel that and as a professional I have felt that. (laughs) I think there's a power to that like
0: when I wrote this down or even when I even started the podcast I did not realize how many people were in the same boat as me, so to speak. And I was like, yeah, there was something quite relieving about that in the sense that, oh, okay. I didn't know other people felt like this way. And I know that a lot of people have dating anxiety, especially now, especially with COVID, dating yourself is stressful, but now you're in this situation where you don't even know where this person has been, what they've touched. So it's like, the health anxiety and the dating anxiety is mixing up to be like one big anxiety.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And health anxiety is such a real thing right now. So, so health anxiety is just generally like being really afraid of your health. It's pretty self-explanatory, but it can manifest so greatly right now like you said and it can then lead to these things like dating anxiety and social anxiety because it's like at the core of everything right now right like i don't want to meet because they might have been exposed and there's no way of knowing sometimes like how many people people are exposed to so it's a really real thing right now i think like and we have to be a lot more intentional about practicing how we actually cope with this but it's it's all like so real and I think the boundaries are getting so blurred between which anxiety is what. Like I think we're just in this pool of anxiety right now. <laughs> yeah, I know, I completely agree.
0: And it was really fitting. I was actually saying to Nana before we recorded, like this was a very fitting day because I've been feeling very anxious all day. And I was like, you know what? Wow. What a day to feel anxious. But um I think for me, like there's different ways I would just say I just came back from a run and a run always helps me. Like just clear my head and like I don't know why that like when I'm running, there's like bongo music playing really loud. There's a sense of relief afterwards. And I don't know why. Maybe you can tell me why. Why is it that exercise relieves
1: certain kinds of anxiety? Yeah. So exercise and the music that you brought up actually both. So actually exercising releases endorphins and it activates that rest and digest system that that I was talking about earlier. So you know, when we say that there are certain things that genuinely help, it's because in your brain, actually, you're you're exercising and your body is signaling to your brain that you're okay. It's re-regulating itself. And so music does that. So when you said, you know, you feel like you can listen to Bhangra music and kind of feel relaxed, like I feel the same way when I'm listening to like, um, like Hindi music, for example, or even just like, quite honestly, like Drake. <laughs> I love him. So... <laughs> Um, so he'll write, but it, it will be so relaxing because I'm like, this is, this makes me happy. And this is something that I can go to immediately to rely on. And so when you have that for yourself, your body is telling your brain, like, we're okay, we're safe, we're, we don't have to be in this fight or flight mode. Like, we're going to regulate ourselves here. So when we think about the things we can do, we want to think about those things that can help kind of activate that parasympathetic rest and digest.
0: And I know there's that like one thing that we spoke about before was like, there are actually optimal levels of anxiety. Like anxiety in itself isn't, although it's portrayed as a bad thing when there's too much of it,
1: but having some anxiety can actually sometimes be a good thing as well, right? Yeah, because again, we want to be able to recognize things that are dangerous for us, right? Or things that are aren't potentially not good. So when you think about going on a date and you are in the middle of that date and someone has red flags and you start to get anxiety, It's like that in that moment, that anxiety is quite helpful for you because it's helping you recognize if this person is a right fit for you or not. And in that moment, it might be helping you tell yourself like, this is not a good fit. And your brain is like, no, red flag, let's get out of here. That fear response. So it's like saving you. So in those moments, and you know, you can characterize this even like in your job and, and really anything you do, like there are moments in which you need that level of anxiety And having some level of anxiety is actually pretty good for functioning. So, you know, like meeting deadlines and things like that. Like if you didn't have anxiety about it and you didn't have some level of stress, you wouldn't be getting it done. So, you know, that's normal. But again, when you start to feel like you cannot, you can't move past that and you just can't function despite it, then that's when it's like, okay, this is a problem. Like I I have anxiety literally all the time. I can't do anything. It's getting in the way of me, like, again, even meeting people, dating, it's getting in the way of, you know, doing my job. Like, then it's like, okay, that's a problem. And I've got to, I've got to get some help for that.
0: Mm. And where by South Asian, I from my personal experience, I feel like South Asians in itself don't really talk about anxiety or mental health. And I just want to know that. How's your experience been when we talk about anxiety within the South Asian community?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's really stigmatized. Um, I mean, like even even in my own personal experience, like before I was a psychologist and before I really had the terms for this kind of stuff, I think I knew that I had experienced some level of anxiety and I couldn't really put words to it and have the language for it. So I would feel things like a stomach ache or like a backache you know, just I felt giddy in my stomach. And I knew that I had like some sort of fear and I was like nervous all the time, but I didn't know it was anxiety. And so I think, especially in the South Asian community, because mental illness is so stigmatized that we often mask it in physical symptoms. So we say things like, you know, I have a headache or I feel like my stomach is turning or Um, You know, I have some sort of pain. And pain is is a really big physical symptom that we mask anxiety or mental illness with. And so we have to pay a little bit closer attention when we're thinking about the South Asian community and how we talk about it because we often put it in our physical symptoms. But when we sit down to actually talk to people about their experiences, you can recognize that they have anxiety. Um, They'll talk about their stresses. They'll talk about their fears. And you can quickly kind of decipher that this person might have anxiety or might have some sort of mental illness that's getting in the way. And they're just, they may not have the language for it either.
0: Do you feel like in your experience, there are people that have anxiety or some sort of mental illness that are in denial about the fact that they have it?
1: Yeah, I do think so. And I think, again, it's because it's so stigmatized, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have anxiety. That means something's wrong with me. And when we can place it in the bucket of like, this is just another illness, you know, like it's 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 just one of those things as, you know, the same as if you had like back pain or if you had, you know, like I have like sometimes chronic back pain and it's so easy for me to tell people like, oh, I have chronic back pain, but even I would still think twice before telling someone I had anxiety. And so that stigma is still so real that I think people have a hard time saying something about it. But when we can think about it as just another chronic illness and just something that needs management, like it becomes so much more approachable um, and so much easier to talk about. And like honestly, recognizing that every single person has some level of anxiety, just like every single person has some level of pain. I agree with that, to be honest. I feel like there's no one out there that
0: I know of in this world that that has not suffered from anxiety. And I don't know why, but I, I always compare mental health and physical health as two separate but similar things in the sense our physical body that like we get the common cold, we get the flu, it's very up and down. And we sometimes do get ill, but it goes. And I feel like with your mental health, it's the same thing. Like even the healthiest person will get the flu. So the healthiest person with the healthiest mind could also suffer from temporary kind of mental illness. Like, for example, suffering from anxiety for a short amount of time. I think of that the very similar way that I think of like the common cold So I think is okay. I, yeah. Everyone does have it in some shape or form, especially going through their life. But I just want to come back to the question. If someone is in denial and you know that they're suffering from a mental illness, like what do you think that we should do to help them understand this is something that you need medical attention for?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's for me, at least when I think about working with patients like this, we want to meet them where they are. So we don't, you know, while it's important to help them recognize that they might have anxiety, we also don't want to like push it on them to where they're then avoiding us and they're running the other way. So we want to meet them where they are. So we might want to ask like what their understanding of anxiety is already, like what do they know about it? Um, and then ask if they've ever experienced any symptoms that are similar to that. And the reason we want to do that is we want to get an understanding of like, what does this person know about anxiety? How might they react if I tell them that they might have it? And how can I then adjust myself to make sure that they're not feeling that way? Because we don't want to add to it, right? So if this person has like a limited understanding of anxiety, then I would approach it in the sense of like, you know, sometimes we can have physical symptoms that can be manifested as anxiety and we don't even recognize it and we might not even know it. And I I would probably at that point talk about my personal experience with it, right? Because I want to normalize it for this person. I want to make them feel like this is not something that is only um, something that you have, that we all experience that. So I would kind of meet the person where they are and have more of a discussion about it. Like I wouldn't say like you have anxiety and you need to get help. Like I would talk to them about what anxiety is, about how our body can manifest it. And then about how, you know, it can be helpful to see someone to talk about it. And it can be helpful to to work through it because we just want to find ways to cope better with it, right? So I I wouldn't want to be like, you have to go see a doctor because like you're crazy or you have to go see a doctor because you need to get help immediately, or this is going to be really dangerous. Like I I wouldn't want to do that. So, um, I would say like when you're talking to someone about this, or if you're worried that someone has anxiety that, you know, I would make sure to be very gentle and compassionate with this person and then, you know, talk to them and maybe go through their options with them and, um, and work through it and meet them where they are. So Don't be aggressive about it because you don't want them to run away and avoid um, because that's what happens with anxiety a lot of the times is we avoid. So that would kind of be how I would go about it. And then talking about coping,
0: obviously there's no one fits all method. It's very tailored to the person, but are there any general coping mechanisms, tips and triggers that people can use if they are suffering from anxiety?
1: Yeah. So when you think about triggers, like you really do want to think about, like what is it that's causing you the anxiety? So maybe keeping a daily log of your activities and paying attention to the times in which you might experience that anxiety starting to creep in. So does it happen in the morning, right when you wake up? In the evening, and for a lot of people that I know, actually, um, the anxiety might start to creep in right before bed, right? And then we get into bed and we're like flooded with these thoughts. And so that might be a time that I might use a coping strategy. When we're thinking about coping strategies that we might be able to use, I think you mentioned two really great ones, the, the exercise and the music. So definitely exercising and keeping yourself busy and listening to music, uh, relaxing music. So down, there's a lot of apps that play a lot of relaxing music we can do like meditation and relaxation exercises. And I'm not someone who just disclaimer, I'm not someone who's really big on meditation. And I'm, I've am i just never been able to really get into it. But there are a couple of relaxation um, exercises that I really enjoy. And so I recommend those. There's one on YouTube called Paradise Island. And it's a It's like a beach relaxation one and it's like four minutes long because I can't keep my attention longer than that. So I definitely recommend something like that because like beach waves and noises like that are actually really relaxing for your body. So paying attention and listening to those um, can be helpful. The other couple of things that I would recommend is setting aside a worry time. Um, So oftentimes when we have anxiety, we are thinking about things throughout the day. Our thoughts are running crazy all day long. Or when we're getting into bed, they're starting to creep in and then we can't sleep. So, setting aside a worry time is taking 15 to 20 minutes out of your day and maybe having like a journal or some sort of diary with you to write down all of the things that you're afraid of, all of the thoughts that you might have. This might be a time to problem solve some of them. But just getting it out there and using that time to worry allows you to kind of look forward to those 15, 20 minutes and save all of that anxiety for that one period of time. And then you can kind of go about and do the rest of the things that you need to do throughout your day. And then keeping in touch with people that help you feel grounded. So when you have anxiety, you want to ground yourself back into the present. You have fear, right? You have fear of the future and what if. and So you want to consistently bring yourself back to the present. So talking to someone that can help you do that, like a friend or a family member, but also just looking around you and identifying a couple of things that might bring you back into the present so looking at a thing that you can smell looking at something that you can see looking at something that you can hear that will bring you back to the present moment and remind you to kind of recognize that this is where you are right now and so what can i do with where i am in this moment rather than focusing on on the future i love that that is so
0: helpful honestly thank you so much your expertise. Yeah, of course. I'm going to end this podcast with a quick fire round because I know what we've been talking about has been quite deep, but also needed and very insightful. So I'm going to do a quick fire round with you. So just like a bunch of really easygoing questions.
1: Are you ready? I'm ready. The first one is what is your favorite holiday? So last year I went to Thailand and I've been thinking about it a lot and I'm so sad. I wish I was back there, but I had the opportunity to go to Thailand and I went to Phuket, which was this beautiful like beach island. And it was just, it was like magical. It was a dream come true. I was like sitting on this island and I couldn't believe that my life was real in that moment. The next one is, do you have a favorite quote? I do. I, and I actually, I think it's by Bob though it's if it's not fun, you're not doing it right. And I really live by that quote. I've said I've had that quote. It's been my favorite quote since I was like in the 10th grade, because I really think that for me, at least like I love to I love to play, I love to have fun. And so for me, if something is not fun, that's an indicator to me that I need to like switch and figure out how I can make it more fun. Because I think that that really helps me cope with, you know, anxiety and stress. And so if it's not fun, you're not doing it right.
0: Um, the next one is if you can relocate to
1: one place in this world, where would you go? Hmm. I would probably move to Bombay. (laughs) Like we talked about this earlier. I love New York city and I think it gives you that New York city vibe, but I love Bollywood. I'm like a big Bollywood fan. And I just, I love Bombay so much. Um, and I love India so much. So I think it would just be like the best of all the worlds to just go there. You know, you actually answered my next
0: question, which was Hollywood or Bollywood.
1: <laughs> Bollywood, a
0: thousand percent. Do you have like an ideal dream date? Like if, if someone was to take you on a date, what would be like your perfect first date?
1: Um, let me think. Jeez, that's tough. I would say like a beach date. So um, actually my boyfriend does a really good job of planning these dates out, but we haven't done a beach date yet. I would say like a beach date, either like a picnic on the beach or like a dinner by the beach. Love that. The next one is, what is your favorite food? Uh, Mexican food, hands down.
0: Yes, that is mine. I love Mexican food. Yeah,
1: I can eat it all day.
0: I've been really into Argentinian food recently. I've been like, trying out recipes and I just think like the food there is so bomb. South American food in general is so good. So good. So
1: good. <laughs> Um, the next one is what is one skill that you want to learn I think I want to actually be a better cook so I, I know how to cook but I mean I'd like to be like a Michelin star chef but um, <laughs> but I think I realized recently that cooking actually is quite relaxing for me so I, I'd like to be a better cook okay so one is what is your favorite candy
0: I'm a chocolate person, so I don't think I have a favorite candy. My favorite chocolate is
1: Ferrero Rocher.
0: Oh, yeah, we have them here. I'm obsessed with American candy, by the way. Like, I think you guys have a better chocolate selection and sweet section than we do. I don't know why. Yeah, sometimes I order it off Amazon. It's really bad.
1: What's your favorite? What's your favorite oh, candy? Oh, I have
0: so many. What is the one that I really like? I don't like nerds. I don't know why you guys have nerds. It's literally just sugar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I really
0: like Jolly Rogers, like the soft Jolly Rogers. I think they're really good.
1: Yeah, those are good. I also really like, have you ever tried Sour Patch Kids? Yes, but you
0: guys have more sour, Sour Patch Kids than we do. Ours are not that sour. Really? Those are my favorite. I love Sour Patch Kids. Ah, I guess I answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the final thing, <laughs> the final thing is, what is one thing that makes
1: you feel calm? listening to calming music so listening to again beach waves and talking to talking to my partner actually he's got a really good head on his shoulders he's very naturally calm so talking to him kind of eases my anxiety a lot of the time
0: i love that oh my god thank you so much for coming on this and doing this episode justice cuz i don't think i could have done it justice myself so thank you for being a guest on my show
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun.
0: I really hope you enjoy the episode. I just wanted to say thanks again to Nena for being a guest and being so amazing and sharing her knowledge and experience. I could really relate to the things that she said. Like I said before, if you are enjoying listening to these podcast episodes, then please subscribe or follow this podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts and also follow me on social media so that you're updated on everything to do with this podcast I guess and sometimes the occasional picture of me Um, and if you like what you heard please check out all the other episodes that I have so far I've covered topics such as colorism heartbreak and also how to create effective goals I hope you guys have a really good week and are staying safe and I'll speak to you guys next week bye